podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN in association with Betfred. Good to have you with us, gang. So, we know Super Bowl 55 is locked and loaded. Brady, Mahomes, Tampa Bay, Kansas City Chiefs, the greatest of all time versus the champs. Wow. Cannot wait to break that down. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks, getting you set for the big game. But before all that, Let's take a look at how they got there. The Championship Sunday didn't disappoint, and neither will Iron Mike Carlson. Iron Mike, a ton to get into. We're going to start with the Green Bay-Tampa Bay game. And first things first, I don't want to hear all this love for Brady, Brady this, Brady that. I want to hear some love for Leonard Fournette. And I've got a theory here. If, <laughs> you if know, the Bucks Leonard... win the Super Bowl, right, and Fournette <laughs> yeah. has a you know significant part to play in that game as well, he's a lock for one of those America's Game seats. Uh, he's a look. <laughs> you know, he, he started out so good, you know, and, and he was really running hard. He got a pass. And I, I think I tweeted something. This is the Leonard Fournette we remember from Jacksonville. Mm. Um, although, you know, I also did tweet that on that touchdown run where he had that great spin off the line, of, you know, Love after the, the line of scrimmage. That's what he does best. Mm. His problem in Jacksonville was that he tried because they weren't that good up front. He tried to do it all the time. Mm-hmm. And you can't kind of run into the line on a play design to go up the middle and always break it off to the outside. On that point, did you see the brilliant, we love, you know, percentage stats or probabilities. <laughs> did you see that one where it was 0.4% or whatever at, yeah. at the line of scrimmage and then it kind of rolled and rolled and rolled. Yeah, but yeah. that was that's what he does really well. You know, he, he doesn't really want to be an up the middle three yards at a time guy. Mm. He's he's more like a Le'Veon Bell, but, you know, but with a quicker cut and, mm. and better. And then, of course, as soon as I tweet that, he drops two passes. I'm thinking, what am I, Troy Aikman now? <laughs> Every time I say something, it's going to be proved wrong in the next minute. Mike, on <laughs> On the, on the show last week, uh, on the Edge Rush show, I locked in Green Bay for the Super Bowl. So As you would. <laughs> that's, that's the high bar <laughs> there that you're not going to jump over. Look, so this is obviously all about uh, all about Brady heading to his 10th Super Bowl. Uh, you've never really bought into that criticism that has plagued Brady through his career. You know, he's a system quarterback and, that, that, you know, term of alignment there. Any quarterback would have had this kind of run in, in this Patriots with this Patriots dynasty. But surely, Mike, this run with Tampa Bay shuts up all those haters who did it, buy into that. It should do. Um, you know, and the point I used to make about Max was that Brady was a system quarterback, mm. but what made him so great was he could adjust to any system. 11 different systems. Right? Yeah, exactly. which yeah, the Patriots yeah. was often week by week. Um, right, you know, but right. certainly season by season you know when they needed a, when they needed to run the ball and have him protect it when they had Corey Dillon or Antoine Smith that's what he did when they had Randy Moss he was a downfield passer 50 touchdowns when they didn't have Randy Moss he became a kind of deep dink and dunk guy mm. um with well with Walker and Edel, Edelman um <laughs> whom Scotty Miller reminds Troy Aikman of. I wonder why. Um, <laughs> I incidentally, on Scotty Miller, I'm glad you brought him up. Well, cousin Greg was on the show last week, of course, Greg Rosenthal, and we were uh, discussing He loves how, Scotty Miller. Well, uh, he loves Scotty Miller, and we were saying how every commentator uh, across the board, anytime Scotty Miller does something, Scotty Miller! <laughs> just just <laughs> e- emphasizes his name 34% higher than any other player that yeah. would have made the same play. It, it rolls off the tongue. And, I guess and you know, I, I think, 
Troy said, you know, oh, he reminds me of all those guys Brady used to throw to. And, and I immediately tweeted out, you mean like Dion Branch? <laughs> and, like, how many tweets and, did he send last night? It sounds a like lot, 600. Okay. A lot. You know, I think I should be put back on, on television or radio mm. by public demand simply to keep me, keep me off Twitter. Because <laughs> I can't do both, you know, at, at the same time. That's why we and, have and, you on the NCAA. And then, and then when, when um, Miller got the touchdown and Aikman said, boy, you know, he's got unexpected speed. <laughs> I said, oh, you mean he's sneaky fast? <laughs> the guy clocked 437 at the combine. You know, it's like, you know, you should know he's got speed. Anyway, back mm. to Brady. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think what what happens um, with this team is that um, I said this at the beginning of the year. He was joining a good team with a really strong defense that, that was a better team than seven and nine. But they the problem was that for every touchdown Jameis threw, he threw an interception. And Tom Brady's main job was to avoid turning the ball over. And that's exactly what he did. Um, you know, he he has the targets to go to. Um, he's going to, you know, he's going to hit a lot of big plays. Uh, I think in this game, you saw that he sort of looks at Mike Evans the way he looked at Randy Moss. Right. Although Mike Evans, you know, has not been healthy all season. This year was the first time I saw him go downfield, you know, mm. um, in, in a long time. And. But even on that, it's a great point. Him going downfield, and it's not just the detractors for much of his career, but for much of this season as well. I remember midway through the season, we were hearing so much criticism of Brady doesn't have the deep ball. Brady's misfiring on the deep ball. And he looks statistically when all's said and done, certainly the regular season throw in the playoff games as well. He's been super effective in that respect. He yeah he does tend to put air under the deep ball now, which he's trying to place it in more than more than kind of jam it in. But his mid his mid range throws his his sideline routes are all zipped, mm. you know. He, and that's the more important point of having arm strength is being able to zip those throws that that, that might be that might be um, I- intercepted. So you know, I thought in the first half, apart from the play um, to Goodwin. It, um, that he made a fantastic move to catch when Savage should have had an interception mm. less than a minute after Troy Aikman had said Goodman has a bad lack of confidence and <laughs> and series of drops. Um, apart from that one throw, he, he, his first half was brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. And again, the touchdown pass to Goodwin uh, to um, Miller, he laid that up. You know, he it was not a zipped pass; it was a perfectly timed pass, waited for Miller to run into it. And then in the second half, you started to see um, he was putting too much on the on the ball. It, it mm-hmm. was it was going high, going. And then when he tried, when he was under pressure and tried to you know put a ball up to make a play, they got intercepted. But, you know, yeah. going back to your original point, not on Brady, um, you know, for two weeks, Tampa's defense has put him in a good position to win games and they right. won them. Um, yeah, on but that, but so- going back, going back to your original point, um, that game was lost by Green Bay more than won by Tampa. Right. Right. Well, let's talk, let's join those last two points together then, because JPP and Shaq Barrett were wreaking havoc, right? O- on this line that, has been stout for, for much of the season, obviously not in the in the encounter in the regular season between these two. Uh, and of course, that was something that we're interested to get your take on how the Packers in, allowed that to happen again. But just even week on week, 
the Rams didn't sack Aaron Rodgers. They had one hit on him. And I know Donald was banged up, but nevertheless, it was a completely contrasting performance from the offensive line. So how did the Bucs do it? How were they able to disrupt this line so effectively? That's a really like? good point. And, and the key to that was simply speed. Um, JPP and Shaq Barrett. And because what you saw was they were beating their men, but they weren't beating them getting directly to Brady. They were beating him and then coming off the block and chasing Brady, uh, sorry, Rogers, mm. Rogers down um, before he could get, you know, get anything done or pressuring him while he was trying to get something done. And, and to me, on that key play of the game, probably the third down and goal from the eight just before the two minute warning at the end right. of the game, lots of us said Rogers could have run. Yep. You know, and I've been looking at it and I think that what was going through his head was JPP was the guy who was chasing him mm. and he was afraid he was going to be run down from behind. And of course, he, then they lose the two minute warning if he gets tackled in play. I was thinking I said at the time I, I tweeted it out. I don't know if he would have got a touchdown, but I, if he goes out of bounds at the two or three yard line, it's fourth and goal from the two or three. Mm. And they have to basically make the same play twice. They have to get the touchdown and the two point conversion. But when you go through all the, the different scenarios, if they don't make it, what happens? The Bucks get the ball. You have to stop them and punt. If they punt, you get the ball in decent field. Yeah, position. right, right. Right. If if they make the touchdown, but not the two point conversion, you have to stop them and get the ball back. But all you have to do is kick a field goal. Mm. If if you make both, it's a tie game and you're starting over. Mm-hmm. But but by doing what they did. They now have to stop the Bucks, get the ball back in bad field position, and score a touchdown. You know, it it, it didn't make sense. It didn't, logically, there was only one good outcome out of four possible ones. Yeah, and, it's a- and to take that, especially when your quarterback's Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at that point of the game, who do you trust more, Aaron Rodgers or Mike Pettin's defense? It's a, it's a great point you make because I was I was watching that as you, you suggested. Everyone was asking why Rogers wasn't running. But there was a play before that, on the same drive as well. That you know, I think it was the play right before, or or maybe it was the first down. But he had two shots, I think, of running to the right to the end zone, and didn't take any. And we forget, I guess, in uh, this is a point I think that uh, that the guys made on comms in the age of Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. How good a run around Rogers is, relatively speaking, right? So that that was yeah. that was well, baffling, and that's a really interesting point you make as to why he didn't make that. Call. He had that great run, touchdown the week before, but that was on a guy in front of him, mm. and and I think, like I said, I think what he was feeling was was the pressure from behind. He was mm. afraid he was going to get run down from behind, mm. um, which is the one thing you can't control um, when you when you are running the ball, and um, you know why he forced it to. Devonte Adams, you know, you you can argue these various things. I thought, you know, there might have been different play calling. I really wonder why AJ Dillon was not in the lineup, like goal line. So um, great, AJ didn't not used uh, hardly was hardly used at all, and and they couldn't get a grand game. I was going to ask you how significant you thought the loss of Aaron Jones was. I mean, midway through the game, essentially, he's completely out. Uh, was that a, a major factor? It, it, Not a major, but back. it's a significant one, especially because they they gave most. I mean, Daryl Williams did a great job, um, you know, most of most of the time. But you really, I think, could have used that 245 pounds of A.J. Dillon at least right. once in right. those two goal line sequences, you know, and, and it, it was like it was like Munster against Leinster, which I was watching on Saturday where they <laughs> stopped them twice at the goal line, you know, and, mm. and that's basically what what the Bucks did to the Packers, you mm. know. And, and when you come away with you get three interceptions and you come away with six points um, in the second half and you settle for a field goal in the um, you know it's it, it's 
it's just not good. I mean, it's really hard to, to come from behind against a Tom Brady team uh, when, when, that's your, when that's your baseline. And I also thought one of the penalty calls that I thought should have been as on the first Aaron Jones fumble, I thought it was a helmet-to-helmet -helmet hit, and pretty clearly mm. so. But nobody else, mm. at least in commentary or, or um, Gene's territory or whatever, or Mike, whoever it was, seemed, seemed to even notice the it. Fox Command Center. I, yeah. um, I want to get into penalties because I know you're, the, the inconsistency of the issuance of penalties is one of your favorite subjects. And uh, surrounding Kevin King, before we talk about that, the call when he was covering Tyler Evans, which essentially iced the game, right? Which Rogers has yeah. said was a bad call. Uh, I want to ask you about King because he's getting a lot of heat. And I want to get your take on what you thought of his health. Because I was doing the, the BBL Cup uh, final for Sky in the afternoon. So I was driving back in, in the snow up the M1. So I was listening to the first quarter on the radio, right? And... It was Kevin Harlan on comms. And early on, he referenced King's back injury, right? And then we saw the mistimed jump on Evans for the, for the first score. And I looked back at it this morning in terms of what his week has been. Back injury, he missed a lot of practice. He was questionable for much of the week, right? So he, he was clearly, to me, banged up. Did you think that was is what explained how he completely miscalculated that coverage on Evans. Do you think it, do you, get, you can ascribe that to the fact that his back back was done? Cause it just seems so it, out. Of it's, it. it's interesting because, you know, when you watch it, he, he just missed, he mistimes the ball. Mm. He's six foot three. I mean, right. he, you know, he's a big corner. He's a big corner. Um, and Evans has beaten him. And Brady again has waited that long ball. You know, perfectly, really, to get it up high and let Evans jump and make a play for it. Mm -hmm. And King was was got himself back into position to be able to make a play on the ball, but he just couldn't reach it. Mm -hmm. um, whether if his back, you know, held him back, that might be the case. Um, but uh, you know, I think more to the point was the fact that he he got turned around on that play so that he was always playing catch up with Evans. And mm. and you have him on Evans because you want big man on big man. You know, if you wanted your best corner on Evans, you'd put Jair Alexander there. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I think maybe they could have tried that, but I don't think they wanted King exposed to the quicker guys. Well, they targeted King, and I heard someone make the point. Read someone made made the point this morning that well, why didn't they when they saw Tampa, but you know, ruthlessly picking on him? Why didn't they flip Zaire Alexander? And you understand, of course, why Alexander plays the side that he does in the same way that that Sherman does, right? But if if they had flipped it, then they would have just gone the other route, right? Tampa got if, so many. If weapons. I remember right, they did flip him the first time the teams met, mm. and, and and Alexander stayed on on. Um, on Evans, I, I I don't know why they didn't. I'm, I'm not sure what the what the good reason would be, um, I, except that I don't yeah. think you want Kenny King on Goodwin because he's so much quicker. Um, you know, and yeah, oh, I see exactly. Yeah, they, they've got so many different weapons around them. That sure, it might take out that threat, but they'll just you know. Yeah, if, they, if AB had been playing, it would have been mm. you know an even tougher. Just talk about that PI call then. Uh, Aaron Rodgers says it was a bad call. He had a lot to say after the game, which we'll talk about as well. What did you think? The, the, the call I thought on it was a bad call in the sense that they hadn't called it all game. All game, not right. Um, and what you want from referees is consistency. Mm. Uh, was it 
egregious. It was only egregious in the sense that you saw the jersey come back. How much that held him back, I don't know for real. It's a call. It's a good call. I mean, it's the right call. The right call. In normal circumstances, that gets called every time, and players know it. Um, if you know, it's hard to get away. With, you can get away with much worse than a jersey grab, mm. but because the jersey grab is is obvious and visible, that's the one you get flagged for so Mike, yes you know, it's the right call but in the tenor of the game hmm. in a game where there were zero penalties in the first yes. half yeah. zero Incredible. and you could see there was one moment where you could see um a, as a play was being they, they they made the wrong call um and re- and reversed it um and you could see um cleat cleat brakeman whose job is you know not to put the brakes on it blakeman's his real name but but you could see him on the thing and i, I was convinced that that was new york saying okay cleat it's time to start throwing the flags yeah, now interesting um you know i i was absolutely convinced of that and they corrected the the wrong call um and that was fine and then the flags did start to come you know a little just a dribble a drizzle of them but my point is Mike, always- just on that. I just, I'm just interested because it's something you've, you've talked so erudely about over the years, the, the maddening inconsistency. But looking at it another way, if you let's take a, completely come out of the NFL and take football, right? You'll see certain refs who will rugby to allow X number and say, that's your limit. And then I'm going to call it. Uh, does that kind of thing ever happen in the NFL where it's clear to the players that they're so it, it isn't actually them being inconsistent? I, I know I know of referees who will tell a player, don't do that again, mm-hmm. or you're lining up in the neutral zone. Get back, you know, stop lining up in the neutral zone, you know, uh, or you're moving just before the snap. If you do it again, I'm you know, there are referees who will give that kind of warning, uh, mm-hmm. which is good um, because that, that's what you should do. I don't know if. They have a set limit that would be up to the ref, obviously, not to the other officials. Right. Um, and it's not, you know, and, and the, the other official will throw has to throw the flag without consulting the referee first. So I'm, I'm not quite right. sure how, yeah, how that point. works. But everybody wants consistency from the referees in every sport. You know, it's all you can ask for. If you know, if you know, an umpire's got a high strike zone and he calls it that way the whole game, you can live with it. Rugby's yeah. very much the same way. Yeah. Um, and, and to all of a sudden make make a call. No, nobody's going to like. But my Mm. bigger point on past interference is that, and we heard it in the commentary, a lot of hand fighting going on, but it was pretty equal, you know, or, oh, you got to let the guys play. The problem with that is that in pass catching, one guy has to use two hands to catch the ball and the Mm. other guy doesn't. Mm-hmm. So hand fighting is not a 50-50 equal thing. Hand fighting is removing from the receiver the one tool that he has right. to do what he's supposed to do. And the defensive back doesn't have to worry about mm. that. And that drives me crazy because mm. that's what the original pass interference rule was designed to stop. Because in my day, when I was a kid growing up, you could hit the guy all the way down the field. But you hit him. You didn't. You couldn't grab him. You couldn't grab his hands. You couldn't slap away at him. But you could hit him as much as you want. You could mm. put your shoulder into him twenty yards down to the field, up to the moment the ball went in the air. Right, right. What do you think, Mike? On looking at changing the rules in the future with regards to, to coaches' challenges. So, not specifically this one, but we can use this as an example. We'll kind of flip it, and when there has been a flagrant foul that hasn't been called. Do you think that the NFL should be looking at enabling coaches to get some video replay on calls that are, they feel are wrong? Yeah. I mean, it was interesting to hear Mike Pereira describe what 
what plays could be overturned without a challenge, mm-hmm. you know, or without the specific thing they were looking for if they see another foul on the play. And there's a very limited number right. of those, like 12 men on the field, which which got right. called on, on review. Um, I think it opens the door. The every play challenge kind of opens the door too much. Um, to what? To a game that slows down. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you can put a limit on it. Well, right, exactly. But um, I would rather see the the present limit maintained mm-hmm. and maybe expand the plays that are challengeable mm-hmm. um, rather than make it just any, any play. Um, and I'm not a huge challenge fan anyway. Because I think what we've gone down to now is minutiae mm. um, and, and trying to parse the rules that small makes the rules less effective at doing what, they, what they're designed to do. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, I know well, we all want to get it right, but, you know, I, I can live with a certain amount of borderline unrightness, mm. <laughs> incorrectness, um, you know, if, if we have to. And um, it, it's, a, it's a terrible area because whenever you look at the rules, you then have to consider the interpretations of the rules that the referees are instructed to. For example, the word football move does not exist in the NFL's rule book. Right. It's an interpretation that the referees are given to try to decide how to apply this often contradictory or ambiguous kind of wording in, in what is and isn't a catch. And we see that almost every week in the league, how, you know, in, in one game, a guy catches a ball, turns around, you know, brings the ball down, turns around, gets hit immediately. And it's an incomplete pass because he hasn't made a football move as if turning around is not a football move. You know, <laughs> um, it, right. it drives me crazy. But, and, you know, get off my lawn. I'm getting old. <laughs> I'm with you, bud. I'm with you on this. Uh, Roger's post-game comments uh, want to get into naturally plenty of interesting things he said, most notably, and certainly the quote that's getting all the headlines, a lot of guys' futures, he said, they're uncertain, myself included. So, Mike, is that just a raw reaction to the loss, or do you think there are deeper roots than that? Um, I think it's probably a raw reaction. Um, if you believe that the biggest factor in green bay's repeating a 13 and 3 season or a 14 and 4 season as it as it turns out is that they drafted jordan love and rogers played as if he had something to prove then maybe maybe he decided he would prove it and get out of town or get out of dodge do you, do you as, think that do you think as you would say validity uh, in that argument that that um, was a because he's, he's that character right i mean we know he is yeah i can't make my mind up about this one on the one hand i think it's it, it's pretty trite to say, well, that's what's that's why we're seeing this performance from one of the great quarterbacks to ever play the game. This, the flip side of that is he is quite moody. I mean, he's, he's demonstrably that kind of mindset yeah. so kind of adds up. Um, well, I think, you know, I, I don't know the dynamic between he and Matt LaFleur, and I'm sure he was disappointed to see LaFleur kick the field goal. He said he was, right? He said it wasn't yeah, his call. And, and uh, you know, and, uh, and the reason he's got very good reason to be. But he's had two such good seasons with Lafleur. I think, I think if I were Rodgers and someone were to come to me and say, "Look, what you know? What are you talking about? What do you need to make you happy?" He might say an offensive lineman and a receiver. Um, you know, I mean, remember they, it was Billy Turner at left tackle mm. in that game, and and um, he didn't play badly, but it was a lot to ask of him you know, to, to deal with the speed of, of the Tampa, of the Tampa rush. Right. Um, 
and and that's what I, you know, he said, okay, last year you got yourself your quarterback of the future. This year, get me someone else I can work with. Mm. You know, Tom Brady, they add, they add Gronk and Antonio Brown, you know, do something like that for me. You know, mm. imagine if they put Aaron, um, Allen Robinson on that team. Right, right. And you have Allen Robinson on one side and Devontae Adams on the other side. And the other guys become third receivers, you know, um, who he can depend on. Yeah, the, they, it, mm. they're, they're so tantalizing. Lazard and, and MVS, um, you know, Lazard had a good game. Mm-hmm. MVS made some plays, but you just can't, they're not consistent enough. Not and they it. haven't been since they came in the league, which is why they came into the league as bargain, as bargain draft. And then someone, someone tweet out with equanimity of St. Brown, you know, yes. what's, he, what's he the patron saint of? And I see the patron saint of drops. <laughs> Harsh but fair, I might harsh but fair. So the uh, the Bucks roll into the Super Bowl home field Super Bowl, of course, and they'll be play the champs, the Kansas City Chiefs, getting it done against the Bills. The usual suspects are getting the headlines again. Mahomes, of course, injuries didn't yeah. seem to affect him at all. Tyreek yeah, Mahomes, Mahomes is on the road, as you would say. Mahomes is on uh, the road. I've been trying to figure out mm. whether there's a home field advantage for Tampa, right? Uh, because I mean, in the Super Bowl, there's never the big home field crowd that there would be normally, although season ticket holders do, there is a presence for them in a a Super Bowl game. Um, And of course with COVID, there's not going to be presumably this, the big crowd that you would, you would expect anyway. Um, Well, on the NFL, haven't they announced they're going to be filling it with, uh, with well, medical work, it's like seven yeah. seven thousand five hundred or something. Yeah, I, I don't know what the but total giving tickets, is going they're giving to be. tickets to um, yeah to to frontline medical yeah frontline yeah, yeah yeah. Um, you know, we've twice before you've had teams play it in their own cities. Mm. Uh, the Rams in seventy nine Super Bowl fourteen, and then the Forty ers in Super Bowl nineteen. The Rams mm. played it. Um, at the Coliseum on U- mm-hmm. at USC, the Super Bowl was at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. The 49ers played at Candlestick Park. The Rose Bowl was at Stanford in Palo Alto. Right. But the, the 49ers training facility was actually only six miles away from that stadium, not their mm-hmm. own stadium. And that stadium is closer to where to San Francisco than than Santa Clara, where they play now. Right. So, but but to me, the interesting thing was: do you gain a home field advantage? Do, do your players stay at home? during the during right. the two weeks or do you do what i would expect them to do and i tried i looked up I, I was trying to find what happened in those two games i would expect they put them in a hotel for at least a week before the game and isolate them from their own families yeah. if there isn't the super bowl hubbub that there mm-hmm. normally is around them but i suspect that they will want that full-time attention that you would get in in a super bowl week it's and i think that's an interesting question i'd love to ask you know to get someone to ask um the coaches what the what the plan is right on, on that um and does home field make that much because normally during a week the ability not to live in a hotel and live at home and, and do your normal weekly uh, commute into work each day for practice is a plus mm. because it's your normal routine, you know, and, and, and you get the extra, the extra time. Super Bowls are a different thing. Yeah. And it's, it's a fascinating question because, you know, you and I've done plenty and you, we often, and as the bigger they get as well, and you're right, this year obviously is going to be different in that respect, which adds a, a different layer to this. But in a normal situation, a, t- a typical Super Bowl environment, that that's even more interesting because they're getting bigger and bigger and yeah. brasher and brasher every year. And 
the question we always ask is every player gets asked this is this distracting you enjoying it and it's a mixed bag isn't it some of them thrive on the energy some of some of them love the distraction of that others it it can become all consuming and and really affect their build up to a game someone was talking the other day i think it might have been oh it's on the america's game chiefs i was i was re-watching that because i was pining for for miami and can't believe it that was a year, <laughs> year ago and was watching kelsey on it talk about Jimmy Johnson and spoke to the players. Andy Reid had brought him in on, I think, the Thursday before the game and said, if you take a, you know, a 10-foot beam and put it on the ground, uh, every NFL player will just walk across it, right? But if you take that beam and put it 30 foot in the air, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people wouldn't. He said, that's the Super Bowl. Don't look at it as though it's 30 foot in the air and you want to walk across it. Just treat it like any other, right. any other game, which, of course, is what we hear. But it was quite a neat analogy, I thought. And yeah, Tom Brady that, could walk across it at 30 feet, right? <laughs> as long as it wasn't in prime time, right? Uh, <laughs> as long as he got a good night's sleep. So it, it's a really interesting question uh, you raise. And, uh, and hopefully someone will ask that. Into the Chiefs-Bills game. Same line, I guess, uh, as with the Tampa Bay, D, the the offensive stars of the Chiefs will uh, reasonably get a lot of credit. But it was the Chiefs, D, that needs to get a a huge amount here because those Bills stars, the respective Bills stars, were kept in check for much of the game. Yeah. And, you know, we we, I don't know if I talked about it with you, but but before the game, um, the thing was the Bills have not been running the ball very well. Right. And Zach Moss is out, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but their line is is not as good a run-blocking line as, as it is a pass-blocking pass line. And I really thought they needed to run Allen a bit more mm. in this game than than he had been running in the, the weeks before because they they ran the they ran the um the danger of becoming like Pittsburgh, where you know mm. you, they're going to try to replace the running game with a lot of short passes. Yeah, and Allen—that's not Allen's game, and it shouldn't be Allen's game. Uh, what Kansas City did was really interesting because um, Spagnolo brought pressure from the outside with defensive backs, and if you remember, one of them to me, one of the key matchups of the Super Bowl is going to be Spagnolo against Brady again because right. 2007. That was you know his game plan was to bring pressure up the middle on Brady. So he couldn't step forward in the pocket. Now, bringing it from the outside, when you do that to Brady, he recognizes it more often than not and, and knows what the secondary is going to do to adjust to losing one of, the, one of their members to the pass rush. And, and you, that's why he burns teams a lot. But I think Spagnolo was counting on the fact that Josh Allen wouldn't necessarily react so quickly. Um, mm. And the, the rushers in the first half especially were coming when they did it. They weren't being blocked. Mm. You know, they they had a tremendous um, um, success. The first two times they did it, especially Sneed had that seven, you know, and and Allen tries to run Mm. out of the sack. So Sneed had that like 17 yard that. uh, Yeah, it's a boss for Allen, isn't it? First one. Yeah. Mm. So I, I thought that was that was really interesting. And I thought the Kansas city secondary played very well. Um, Sneed is a great find, which I said before the season, um, I'm happy to announce uh, Breland's playing excellent. Uh, really? football. We love Breland on this and show. And of course, Matthew is, is a danger in there, you know, right. and, and players know that, you know, there was, there was a play along the sideline where um, there was a drop because 
Singletary looked for Matthew. He knew Matthew was coming and he took his eye off the ball for just a second to look for him. Um, so that, that gives them a certain amount of flexibility, which, which helps to make up for the fact that the linebacker group isn't that good. Mm. Um, especially when it comes to pass coverage. Um, they they just don't have the, you know, Hitchens made a couple of plays, but, but beyond that, they don't have the, the quickness um, uh, to cope all, all the way around. And, and then give Andy tons of credit for the game plan against the Bills because they knew what the Bills were going to do. You know, play zone, keep it in front of them, um, try to cut off the big plays. And they generated big plays underneath that zone. Yeah, yeah. Because um, they and, did. Because you know, in the first really game, they had the surprised. same plan, right? Pardon me? Well, unless you guys had the, the same plan in the, in the first game, but the Chiefs, Edwards Hilaire went off and they and they smashed them with the run. But they, yeah. they tried it again, presumably because they figured they wouldn't be able to repeat that yeah. trick, which was true, yeah. but and, they found a different way. You know, in raw terms, what this is very simplified, but what they're doing is playing cover two, mm-hmm. safety's deep, and they're telling you to beat us, you're going to have to make eight, nine, eight, 10, 12 good plays to get down the field. We're not going to let you do it with one or two big plays. Right. So, you know, throw the ball underneath us and we'll try to knock it out. We'll try, you know, make it an incomplete run the ball. If you want, go ahead and run it. You know, you did in the last game and, mm. and, you know, if, if you beat us again with that fine and, and the chiefs did exactly that. They mm. threw to Hill, they threw to Kelsey and, you know, Hill especially broke plays from that. They're saying Buffalo safeties didn't do, didn't do a good enough job. Now, what, I would not be surprised if Tampa do something similar, but um, Tampa have the advantage of those quick linebackers, mm. which means they can play some sort of robber coverage, which is what you need to do against the Chiefs. By robber, I mean either a safety coming up or a linebacker coming back, not deep like a Tampa two, but in the middle of the field the middle, to. Right to cut those crossing routes out um, two weeks ago. I think it was um, um, I think it was Romo who illustrated the way that although they're coming across the middle, those are really go routes. They're just diagonal go routes that those guys are running. And, and that's what the beauty of the chiefs thing is. And, and all they have to do is come open for an instant and Mahomes puts the ball in stride. Mm. And that's what they did against the bills. It worked. It worked beautifully. Yeah. Another parallel with, um, with the NFC championship game is the, the criticism that Sean McDermott's faced for conservative play calling. Right. So taking the field goal on fourth and three when they were 12 points down in the third, for example, do you think he was right to, to bag the points and, and chip away? Because if you look at the drive at the, the top of the fourth, after the Allen scramble, into the, they're into the red zone then. Of course, there was the pick after that. But it was a two-score game then. So they score then. It's 11, 12 minutes, and it's just eight points in it, right? So I think McDermott's getting unfair criticism for that. What do you think? Oh, uh, uh- to an extent. I mean, he got it in the first half when they, they took a field goal, too. Mm. Um, and I, I think I think when you're a defensive-oriented team, but, but you have an offense that, that has shown itself capable of making big plays, um, that you can justify it while the game is still close, mm. while, while it puts you within a score, say, you know, or... or um, and... I, the problem with that is it's like what they used to say about going into new England. 
you can't keep taking field goals and beat the Patriots at home. Mm. You have to score touchdowns because they're going to come back and score a touchdown on you, which is what mm. the Chiefs can do so well. So I think that's what people have in mind. And, you know, I gave McDermott the first one. The second one I wasn't quite so sure of. Sure of. Um, um, but, you know, we, we now start to think of, of people needing to go for it on fourth and short when they're in their own territory, mm. um, you know, much less, say, over the 50. Uh, and he obviously had faith in Tyler Bass kicking 51-yard field goals. Um, so that, you know, a 51-yard field goal is no gimme, which is mm. the other side of the equation with, with go for it, you know, because mm. can you trust your kicker to make that? It's not, it's, not, it's not a sure thing. Yeah, yeah. but he yeah. did. Um, I, I'm not so I'm hypercritical of that. Mm. Um, you know, to beat the Chiefs, they needed to stop them from coming back and getting a score. I th- and I think that was the biggest thing. A lot of people are suggesting that the moment was too much for Josh Allen. I'm seeing that narrative flying around. Do you think that's fair? Do you see it that way? This was for this season anyway. It's an incredible progression, of course, but this was one of those runs that he's going to learn a lot from the experience. Yeah, I, again, I, I hate to over-psychologicalize. <laughs> How's that for a word? <laughs> I like it. I'm trying to think of who that reminds me of. Um, <laughs> those kind of things, you know, it, oh, it's a character flaw or oh, the pressure got to him or something mm. like that. Remember that, you know, yes, you're on a big stage and you have a lot of pressure and every play is crucial. So, yeah, that's that's a factor. But you're also playing, in this case, probably the best team in football. But mm. no matter who you're playing in this round, you're playing a team that's really good, you know, on, on usually on both sides of the ball. But but certainly either that or very, very good on one side of the ball. Mm. And I think the fact that the Chiefs are very, very good on the offensive side of the ball and even as good a defense as Buffalo's couldn't control them put that that's the pressure Allen was facing you're now at you're now at the stage where every mistake means you might be handing an a, um an increase in the lead to the chiefs mm. you know and that's that's that is a tough thing to to be in and the funny part is that one of my bets was for Allen to go under 302.5 yards passing what was the box score what did he get and what did he get in the end like 289 or, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. or something like that he was like one good completion away uh, <laughs> you were from doing that so yeah. so I, so i didn't mind you know, I, I didn't that. mind that, but but I think it's unfair. Mm-hmm. You know, he what's he a third year quarterback now? He's improved dramatically this mm-hmm. season. Uh, you know, I, I think the takeaway on that for me from the Bills is they'll come back better um, next season. You know, and um, it's going to be a very interesting NFC East next year for sure. AFC East. AFC East. It'll be interesting that's NFC right. East as well. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Fair, well, but... the NFC East less interesting. Maybe, yeah. But, yeah. but that's but, a, yeah. yeah, that's a very fair point, right? Because the Dolphins will, we, although there are questions there, obviously, it, certainly in, in the quarterback position, that seems to be rumbling. The Patriots, we think, will come back stronger because an organization run by Bill Belichick, it would be they should do surprising, they, they, and they've got cap space to play with, right? Um, and. Um, you know, Miami will will be will be good. Um, don't know who the offensive coordinator is going to be, but mm. they seem to change those guys every year. Every year, um, why not? Why not? Um, and and Buffalo, I think, will be better. They're a young team mo- for the most part. I think they, you know, they might add a, uh, an offensive tackle mm. uh, to the mix. I don't know if they need to add a running back or something. They might add a, um, 
a linebacker. You know, they, they don't have many great, you know, pressing needs. So they have the luxury of being able to add a couple of quality players. And, and, you know, as much as, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Allen, you know, they're not, it's not like Patrick Mahomes is, didn't come into the NFL after sitting on the bench for the first season, you know, and then was that, you know, Allen didn't have that luxury and he had a lot more work to do in terms of his game coming out of college than Mahomes did. The chiefs were, the Chiefs were excellent at seeing Mahomes' potential, yes. um, you know, right right from the start, um, and therefore getting him in the draft when other teams were drafting up, were trading up to get Mitch Trubisky. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but but the Bills took that chance on Allen when lots of people said he would never be a good NFL quarterback, and they brought him along brilliantly. I yeah. think. Do you feel, Mike, that he has? locked it in now and what i mean is that we've seen before some quarterbacks maybe not necessarily playing to to the level that he has for for this season but that have uh a a day in the sun but then they kind of regress back revert back to time okay this is not maybe not a fair comparison and obviously alan i think is a a better all-round player but Derek anderson was a pro bowl you know playoff quarterback had a great season well yeah he had one year yeah yeah Um, that's that's my point do you think think anderson was a more limited guy obviously he is Sure. Um, but do you think there's a danger? But, I mean, it's Alan a fair, it's a fair question to ask, you know, if, if he's hit his peak and, yeah. if, you know, and because the other factor in that too, is that they won't take teams by surprise this year, mm. uh, next year. Um, although they probably shouldn't have been taking teams by surprise, you know, by the middle of this season, mm-hmm. um, the addition, apart from Brady, I think Stefan Diggs was probably the single best free agent acquisition, although it was a right. trade, it wasn't free agent, but the best, the best new acquisition of the, of the year. Mm. And in a strange sense, when they got John Brown back, it seemed to upset the balance a little bit. I'm not, I thought they were better with Gabe Davis playing. Um, and, and may, but then again, everyone knows or knew you have to, you have to kind of slow Stefan Diggs down. In, in you know to beat the bills i mean that's you can't let him beat you make somebody else beat you and you know which you the chiefs tr- did pretty effectively right yeah they did that very effectively and you know yeah cole beasley caught a couple of good balls underneath and made yardage on them but 13 yards to cole beasley isn't going to isn't going to destroy the game. you yeah. you know the, the way the way Diggs would and you know same with dawson knox he's useful tight end but you know let him complete eight passes to dawson knox that's okay so early thoughts. You've made a few points already about the the Super Bowl matchup, Mike. But very early days, of course. Given uh, we're a fortnight away from it, but which way? Which way are you leaning? Well, or rather, maybe a fairer question is: Where do you think uh, the really outside of the ones we've talked about, the really interesting matchups are going to be? The most interesting matchup to me is going to be Tampa's defense um, against the Kansas City offense, which is not hard to predict. Um, their defense has played really well in the last two weeks, um, and. Kansas City is, I think, going to be without Eric Fisher. I think it's an Achilles injury. Mm. So, you know, they're already using a backup at right tackle. Now they've got a backup at left tackle as well, um, which is a recipe that Green Bay know very well is is dangerous. So that helps Tampa's defense. A lot will depend on the way the game is called. You remember my um, argument after the last Super Bowl was that the Chiefs picked up four big breaks in that game. Uh, from calls or non-calls, uh, which turned which turned the game. Mm. Um, so, you know, one of the first things you look at is how they're going to call holding in the offensive line. Second thing is how they're going to call pass interference downfield. Are you going to let the guys play? And if you do, will you let them play the whole game? <laughs> because one of the things that they let the guys play thing does, and this is true in lots of sports, I mean, playoff basketball, playoff ice hockey, where, 
you know, we know they're going to let the guys play. The guys get worse and worse. <laughs> you know, if you give them an inch, give they them a free take ride, a mile. That's like a mile, right? You know, and, and if you <laughs> yeah. don't start calling things, it really gets it really can turn into to something bad. But you know, I think as I said, Tampa's got the opportunity to use various kinds of robber coverages to upset. Kansas City's biggest plays. Uh, Murphy Bunting, for all the holding that he does, which is a lot, has played really well. You know, he's got ball skills as well, which means um, it, it's a double advantage because not only can he make a play, but, you know, just when you think they've got to call that hold, he let he releases it mm. to make a play on the ball. Mm-hmm. And not many defensive backs can do that that quickly and, and still make a viable play on the ball. So is he like uh, an Italian defender from the mid 80s? Yes. Or me. You used to know. I mean, that when I first started watching football in the late 70s or whatever, you know, the two ways you knew a foul had been committed was that the defender would put his hands up in the air <laughs> and the guy on the and then the guy on the or if it wasn't committed the guy on the ground would be writhing as if he'd just been shot through the kneecap um and so you know you knew either way which, which way that the, the call sh- the well, call a kneecap maybe dad fisher was involved in, <laughs> in yeah. i mean it, i mean isn't that the most wonderful thing um of of the week in fact of this season what did mike carson make we don't that? have I mean, to do oh, it now because i know you want to do some season highlights um, oh yeah oh okay nice and That's i think lovely, i might save that season. because okay, i was right. going back and looking at some of my favorite plays but really i think dan campbell's press conference <laughs> is my season highlight I completely agree um, i think i think and, as we were talking about pre-record Seeing Joe Buck and Troy Aikman in vision for those little, those little 30 <laughs> seconds and Dan Campbell's presser are definitely my top two. <laughs> so I might I might well do that for you, record that for you for the next um whichever. Love show it. Okay, love that. Okay. Yeah. Uh so uh, a couple of things before we let you go, Mike. I want a quick take on the Deshaun Watson situation because three weeks ago, everyone insiders, I think somebody on this very show was saying there is no chance that Deshaun Watson is leaving Houston. And now the story's turn completely on its head and, he, and he's definitely leaving Houston. So extraordinary stuff there. Is there any way you can rationalize what on earth has happened here in terms of how Houston have let this spiral completely out of control? Yeah. Um, I, I think it begins with ownership. Um, and ownership's um, infatuation with Jack Easterby. Right. Um, and I'm sure that Watson perceives um, that Easterby has sort of manipulated his way into a position of real control and that he may not well be the best suited person for that control. Um, I, and I think that leads to a perception as well that he will play favorites um, and that that's designed to be people who will keep him in his position of control. I guess that's um, what I'm, that was a, a much better way of explaining what I, what I was trying to get at. And so maybe I'll, I'll ask the question again, slightly more lucidly. Why have they let Easter be with this battle as opposed to a, a franchise quarterback, the quarterback they can have for the next 10 years? Well, you know, the battle still hasn't finished. Mm. And if I were Houston, my, my first thing would be for, to send Nick Casario to talk to Watson right. you know, and, and give him his, uh, outlook on what you know on what it may now Watson publicly said he wanted Eric Bieniemy to become the coach and that's mm-hmm. still a possibility um, yeah. although I don't know that Bieniemy I mean I think he was interviewed by Zoom or something you know they mm. they could get to him this week if they wanted to mm. um, but there are other possibilities out there that might well appeal to to uh, Watson depending on what his ultimate criteria are for um you know for the coach for the coach that he wants um 
And so I think that's the first step that I would do at least is, is my, I've hired a general manager. His job is to build a roster and you want Deshaun Watson on your roster, presumably. I mean, I look at the, the, the rumored trade to Miami, say for a draft pick in Tua to, is that really what, you know, would you make that trade? I'm not sure that I would. You know, would they be in the Matt Stafford free agent sweepstakes? I doubt it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's it's a it, it's a real tough question to answer without knowing the actual dynamic there. And I don't think that anybody has actually sat down with Watson. I think this is all being conducted via via Twitter. You know, yeah, and, right. and that's a that's a terrible way uh, to do this. But what is what is it now? We're not even into February yet. The season isn't even over. And you've got time, you know, you basically got until the, the, the next, um, the next uh, NFL year begins, which is in March, um, first week of March or second week of March, whatever it is, um, you know, to, to get this sorted out so that you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, if, if I were them, that's what I would, I would try to keep to Sean Watson and say, look, I know management made some mistakes yeah i come from new england where bill o'brien came from and romeo came from you know and, and all that but that's not the way i think i would not have made that trade um to trade away deandre hopkins um for what they got back uh i think we you know it's a new management in town and give us a chance uh you know tell me what it is you think we should be doing and, and you know, we'll take that on board you know it's it's um it's not a democracy but but you know, we we certainly know that you're our quarterback and your input is good and your thoughts are good. We want you to be thinking about what will make this team better. Mm. If he leaves, it's remarkable when you think that a year ago they were up on the Chiefs to that degree in the playoff. Uh, yeah. How this team has changed in 12 months is extraordinary. Um, final thing before we let you go, Mike, uh, Hank Aaron, the great Hank Aaron, uh, passing uh, in the last week. Uh, his obit it will be in the Guardian Euro bit of, uh, uh, yeah. of him. Yeah. In, in my, my Larry King obit is in today. Ah. <laughs> another another icon of Atlanta. <laughs> You're right. We'll, 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 right. we'll check that out. So Hank Aaron... Uh, one of the greats, of course, but you were telling us a, a great story just before we came on air that I want you to share with listeners about what a great guy he was as well. Yeah, and I'm often highly critical of Peter King, um, you know, in my own column and, and sometimes, you know, when, when we're just joking around. Um, but he does get some great stories. And one of them was in today's, which I because I was up early this morning doing radio, um, I just happened to notice uh, on the timeline. Henry Aaron grew up, although he grew up in Alabama. A Cleveland Browns fan. Now, there wasn't any pro football in the South either. So that was, you know, that's another thing. Because the Browns were integrated from 1946, before Jackie Robinson played in the majors, Cleveland had black players playing for them, Hall of Famers, you know, like, like Bill Willis um, and Marion Motley. And um, the Rams had integrated as well. Uh, at the same time, but that was way out on the West Coast. And so he became a Cleveland Browns fan. And while he was in Atlanta and while he was working for Turner after his playing career was over, he would buy tickets in the dog pound at Memorial Stadium. And there were always tickets because it was it's an 80,000 plus seat stadium. And he would fly up to Cleveland. He would go to the game by himself and, and sit or stand in the dog pound with, with those guys and watch the games. And news of word of this somehow got to Ernie Acorsi, who was in the front office at Cleveland. And, 
Aaron came up and was watching a practice in preseason one year at Cleveland. He was that interested. And just with the crowd, you know, and of course he came up to him and said, hi, you know, Mr. Aaron, you know, my, I'm Ernie Acorsi. I'm the GM or assistant GM, whatever his title was. And Aaron said, I know who you are. Um, you're doing a great job. And he said, well, you know, can I, you want to come in and do this? He says, but, and Aaron said, no, I'm, you know, I'm happy here. And he says, well, I hear you come to games every week. Um, can I get you seats? We can put you on the 50 yard line. We'll put you up in the box, you know, whatever you want. Aaron said, no, he said, I like, I like being in the dog pound. I said, you know, I'm a fan and that's the best place to be. You know, I appreciate what I appreciate it, but I'm happy with what I've got. And I just thought that was, it was so Henry Aaron. I met Aaron once when he was working for Turner. I think it was at a launch of the Goodwill Games, which Ted Turner was organizing with, with Moscow. And apart from having a grip that could crush your hand, which <laughs> anyone, right. if you watch him bat, you know that he had incredibly quick and strong wrists. Mm. And that was the secret of, of his success. He was so unassuming. Um, and you also got the, the real sense that he did not suffer fools gladly. Mm. You know, he had worked his way through great, um, great hardship to the top, overcome a lot. And as I say in my obituary, he was really a key figure in the integration of Atlanta, such as it was, because Atlanta became a major league city in part when the Braves moved there in 66 in and, and the Hawks basketball team moved there from St. Louis and, mm -hmm. and then signed Pete Maravich. Um, and, um, and then they got the foot, the Falcons football team mm -hmm. that made, that made America, uh, sorry, Atlanta, a big American city. And Aaron was the key almost to that whole thing. You know, he was, he was the one who civil rights leaders who were, you know, saying, well, look, we got an, in, you know, it's almost a segregated league. What, what can we do? And Aaron was saying, no, you know, let, let this happen. This is a good thing to happen. I want this to come to the South, you mm -hmm. know, and he had played in Jacksonville in the minor leagues in Florida. And, you know, um, I, I just admire, I admire him so much. And you know, I don't think anybody can know the strain of chasing Babe Ruth's record. And and as Vin Scully, who called the game live, I think Peter put this in as well, you know, just said it's a great day for the world that that the Fulton County Stadium is full of people standing up and applauding Henry Aaron for breaking Babe Ruth's record when there were thousands and thousands of people writing him every day and calling him the nastiest things imaginable. And he saved mm. those letters. He saved some of them, mm. you know, and, and he saved his response, which he used, would show to people. Uh, admire him greatly, a, a truly great baseball player, um, yeah. you know, and, and certainly one of the, I don't know, top 10, 12 players of all time. Great stuff, my raising a glass as we uh, as we always say. Uh, brilliant way to to wrap the show. Thanks as always for your insight. Good to see you, man. Uh, our listeners can check you out, of course. Your Patreon, ColinPatreon.com forward slash Mike Carlson FMTE. And seeing as you're pushing out sixteen or seventeen hundred tweets a day, uh, at Carlson Sports, <laughs> right? only on game day. Only yeah. on game day. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean dur during the week I, I slow down a bit and I, I get back to uh, my, my other interests in in yeah. politics and literature and stuff like that, um, which will probably bore or offend people <laughs> depending on their <laughs> political or, or possibly both <laughs> yeah I, I did tweet i did tweet today a beautiful mm. uh version of a woody guthrie song mm. do re me about people emigrating to california in the dust bowl years performed by van dyke parks on piano rye cooter on guitar and bob dylan singing oh, wow. and playing guitar it's absolutely brilliant it's, it's it's just beautiful stuff and i highly recommend it you'll you'll find it at carlston sports go check it out good to see you bud check it soon 
Okay, thanks, mate. Brilliant stuff from Iron Mike. Did you expect anything else? He's back next Monday as we build up to Super Bowl 55, dropping pods all next week. Lots of extra content on our social channels as well. So we might be out in Tampa this time around, but we will get you set for the big show. Our next show, though, is Thursday, and it's our end-of-season awards lots of special guests dropping by for that one producer ollie and i with our alternative awards uh if you've got any suggestions incidentally why don't you find them over on social media at the nc show facebook instagram twitter we'll do our best to read out some of our faves and big shout out to all of you be getting in touch with us on our social channels leaving reviews on the podcast uh, platforms you listen to as well we massively appreciate that so thank you for keeping involved staying involved looking forward to getting your set for super bowl 55 we'll see you thursday bye for now Podcast Network.